read a little bio on Dot. Uh, Dot Kelly teaches personal finance to fourth-year students who are not enrolled in the McIntyre School of Commerce. She also serves as director of the CFA program Partner Initiative at McIntyre, assisting students who may be interested in pursuing careers in investments and enrolling in the CFA program. Ms. Kelly's two main interests are promoting financial literacy and advancing ethics in the financial service services industry. To foster and promote financial literacy and well-being, Ms. Kelly leads personal finance sessions for a variety of audiences on grounds. To advance ethics in the financial services industry, Ms. Kelly founded Parapetos Group LLC, which develops and provides ethics, education, and engagement for the financial services industry. We welcome Dot Kelly. Thank you, Mary Lynn. Welcome back, everyone. What a great year you picked to come back to grounds. Not one, but two NCAA championships. Yes, Wahoo Wah, right? Congratulations to all the Who's. I'm delighted to be here. Um, as Mary Lynn said, I am really passionate about uh, helping promote financial well-being and helping people make smart financial choices. So the subtitle of this, uh, the title was Who's Smart About Money? And the subtitle is Reduce Your Taxes, Enhance Your Financial Well-Being, and Save Thousands. And I'm hoping I'm going to be able to help you do that today. And before, we, in order to do that, I need to know a little bit about who's in the house. So could you raise your hand if you've graduated less than 10 years ago? Okay. How about 10 to 20 years? All right. More than 20? All right. Okay, great. Um, uh, married? Okay. Kids under 18? All right, kids 18 to 26. Okay, great. And employed? All right, self-employed? Um, business owners? Okay, great. And last, who has an HDHP? Anybody? Who has an HSA? Anybody? Okay, all right, great. Um, that'll help a lot. So financial well-being, there's four components, all right? It's do you have control of your day-to-day and month-to-month finances? I hope you do. Not every American does, right? And the next step is, do you have a financial, the capacity to absorb a financial shock? Do you have some savings? If the car breaks down, if a tree falls on your roof, if you get sick, can you get by without going into debt? The third thing is, are you on track to meet your financial goals? Whether it's put your kids through college, buy a house, pay off your student loans, retire, all right, whatever they're, everyone has financial goals and they change throughout our life, but you want to be on track, right? And the fourth thing is, do you have the freedom to make choices that allow you to enjoy life? Because I know people who have number one, two, and three, and they don't have number four because they're locked into a lifestyle that doesn't allow them the option of, of making a change. They are stuck in a high-powered high-stress job with a new boss that doesn't like them and wants to get rid of them, but they have a spouse and two kids in college and an elderly parent that they can't stop supporting, right? So they don't, they have one, two, and three, but they don't have any freedom. My goal is for all my students, and hopefully you, 
is that you, you achieve all four, right? So one of the ways I try and, my favorite tip actually for my students has to do with this, uh, with health insurance. So I wanna ask you a question. Do you know, are you choosing the best health insurance for you? How many people feel confident about that? Yeah, good. Most people are like, eh, I'm not sure, right? The reality is the research shows that many people don't, okay? Many employees are choosing what's known as low deductible plans with high premiums rather than high deductible plans with low premiums, and it's costing them an average of $1,000 a year, according to the research, all right? So how can we fix that, and what does it mean? Um, what I want to do is help you, and uh, I help my students make better informed decisions by employing a decision-making model. Uh, first, you have to identify the decision, then you need to gather information, identify the alternatives, weigh the evidence, choose an option, take action, review the outcomes, and then see what's, if, what the next decision is, right? So um, this is not how most people make decisions. Right? How do most people make decisions? First glance, right? I, I, you know, it's like when you, when you sign up for your health insurance or you go sign up for your benefits, you get to start a new employer, what do you do? You start filling out the form and then you look at the person next to you and say, what are you doing? Right? That's how most people make these decisions. Right? So we're going to walk through it. So for this one, identify the decision. Which health insurance option is best for you? Number one. Two, you're gonna gather information. And in this, say, in this instance, that includes checking out how much are the monthly premiums? How much do you need to pay to buy the insurance? What are the annual deductibles? Everybody knows, except the young man in the vir nice Virginia shirt, he might not know what an annual deductible is, but that's how much we have to pay before the insurance kicks in. Co-pays, of course, are what you might pay for a doctor's visit or maybe a prescription. Co-insurance, who knows what co-insurance is? Yes? Pardon me? Right, so co-insurance is what you have to pay alongside what the insurance pays for any kind of treatment. So when you have a plan, if you go to the, H, if you go to the ER, and your, the coinsurance is, it could be 10% of the bill, could be 20%, could be 30%. I've seen plans with 50% coinsurance on ER visits, okay? ER is a very expensive place to go for treatment. Yes? What's the co-pay the, the co-pay is usually a negotiated rate. So with a certain plan, if you go to an in-network doctor for a, visit, for a doctor's visit, it may be $50 or $60 or $30, and it's a flat rate. Coinsurance is a percentage. Everybody follow? Okay, and then this, this other number that's really important, the annual maximum out-of-pocket, also known as the MOOP, all right? It's really important number, all right? Um, so then you're gonna identify the alternatives. If you're employed, many of you said you're employed, your employer may offer one or more health insurance plans, right? And you're gonna to have to look at all of the information on each of those. Your spouse might be employed, 
and he or she might have one or more plans available through her, his or her employer. The um, healthcare marketplace has plans. If you're anyone under 26, I know one, all right, okay? If you're under 26, you may be eligible to uh, enroll under your parents' plan, right? And when you boil it down, they are gonna come down into, they're gonna be either traditional high, high premium, low deductible plans that most people opt for, or these low premium, high deductible health plans, HDHP, okay? with an HSA, health savings account option. That's what we want to talk about today. That is my favorite tip, financial tip for my students. The HDHP, the HSA is an under, misunderstood or very poorly understood, undervalued and underutilized wealth enhancement tool. All right. So let's talk about it. First, you have to understand what a high deductible health plan is. It's a health plan that has a deductible of at least $1,350 for individuals, $2,700 for a family. And the MOOP is no more than $6,650 for an individual and $13,300 for a family. That's in network. That's a big number. That's kind of scary, right? That's what scares people. Health savings account, we're going to talk about the who, the what, the where, the why, the how, the what if, and wait, what? Um, so health savings account, an individual with an HDHP can open an HSA, right? What is it? It's a tax-exempt or custodial uh, account for medical expenses. Think like an IRA for medical expenses, okay? Where can you open them? With any qualified HSA trustee. They're not as common as you would think, okay? Um, but they're out there. Uh, how, do you, how does it work? You make a tax-deductible contribution through either your payroll deduction or just by direct payment. Why would you do it? Because it reduces your current taxes, and you can use it to pay, or, pay for or reimburse yourself for qualified medical expenses tax-free, right? What if things change? What if you... What if your situation changes and you change health plans? No problem. The HSA funds are yours forever. Once you put the money in there, it's yours forever until you spend it. All right? Wait, what? Jim Ryan would say, wait, what? So an HSA is a tax advantage vehicle for saving, accumulating, and investing tax-free funds for current and future medical needs. The best part? Many employers will contribute $1,000 or more per year to your HSA, which is nothing, more than, nothing less than free money. Right? You don't want to turn that down if it's an option. So let's talk more about the HSA benefits. Contributions, as I said, they're tax deductible, even if you don't itemize your deductions. So a lot of, under the new tax law, a lot of people are no longer deduct, uh, itemizing their deductions you can still write off any contributions you, you make to your HSA. Employer contributions are, um, are excluded from gross income. So they make that $1,000 contribution. It does not show up on your, on your, uh, on your pay stub at the end of the year. Um, interest, dividends, oh, I'm sorry. Employer contributions are 100% invest, vested immediately. Okay, so you might have a 401k 
and you start it and it's vesting over time, this vests immediately. All right, does it, everybody know what that means? All right, so vesting means ownership. So with your 401k, if it, if it vests over time, they make the contribution, but you have to stay longer before it becomes all of yours. The minute that this money is, best, is inserted into your account, it's no longer the, the property of the employer. It is 100% yours. You could leave the employer tomorrow, the next day, and that money would be yours. Okay? Everybody clear? That's a big deal because a lot of employers make those contributions in January. So if you leave in February, you're leaving with all of it. Right. Um, distribution, I'm sorry, interest, dividends, and earnings accumulate tax-free. That's huge. Okay. Distributions used to pay or reimburse qualified medical expenses are untaxed always. And you can take it with you. So if your HSA is portable, if you switch employers, it's still your money. It's still your HSA. All right. Now, who qualifies for an HSA? Pretty much everybody in this room, I think. You will, if you are, as long as you are covered by a high deductible health plan, okay, on the first day of the month. So if, you, if your employer offers this, you're going to do it for the whole year, basically. Um, you can't be enrolled in Medicare and be, have an HSA under the current tax law. I will say that under uh, every Republican health plan that was submitted in the past X number of years, um, They've been trying to expand these HSAs, so that might change in the future, but at, as it stands right now, you cannot in, make an invest, uh, have an HSA if you're in Medicare. You cannot be claimed as a dependent on someone else's tax return, and you can't have any other health care coverage, so you can't have a supplemental, uh, you can't have your spouse's as a secondary coverage. Right. How much can you contribute? In 2019, you get to contribute $3,500 if you have a a single individual plan, and if you have a family plan, it's $7,000. If you're over 55, you have an annual catch-up provision of $1,000, okay? And you can see that the numbers have gone up. They go up generally with inflation, okay? Um, so over time, that number will increase. What expenses qualify for reimbursement or for payment for tax-free? Pretty much all the typical medical expenses you have incurred in your life and would expect to incur. X-rays, medicines, eye exams, glasses, contact lenses, dental treatment. Um, let's see, where's it? Is a surgery. And pretty much everything you can, body scans, cat scans, all, all the things you, can ex you would expect, okay? Yes, question. Sure. Uh, the person, she, she mentioned that television and telephone are listed. Those are usually special equipment for people with disabilities. So it might be someone who's a hard of hearing or having a sight problem, and so they have a special television or telephone. Is that, we, we got that. Okay. Any, some, do you, you had another question? Okay. And you also see, like, it says meals. So those are not meals for you and me. Those are usually meals if you were traveling for treatment out of state or out of, out of town, those kinds of, they're special. If you're having serious medical treatment, 
there are, uh, let's see, there's long uh, lodging. Uh, it says lodging sometimes. Home improvements for disabled people. So yeah, if it's, if it's dis not any home improvement, but home improvements that for, to accommodate disabilities. Yes? No, they have to be prescribed, okay? If your doctor prescribes it, you can probably do it, yes. You can use this money to pay for out-of-network medical treatment, right? As long as it's, it's a qualified medical treatment, it doesn't have to be in-network, so yes, excellent question. Yes, sir. Medical conferences, I believe that's, again, for people with, who are getting treatment or disabilities and they have to go to conferences for those kinds of things. You would want to talk to your tax attorney before you do that. It's not for physicians who are going to medical conferences. Did you have your hand up, sir? So uh, we said you, with an individual plan, uh, I'm sorry, for an individual, it's $1,350 and $2,700 for a family plan. And also, for the investment vehicle, how does compare to say, uh, We'll get there. We're going to get there. Um, one of the things you want to be careful about is you want to make sure when you're looking at these that if you're thinking about this, not, just because it's a high, it looks like a high deductible plan to you doesn't mean the IRS considers it a high deductible plan. You want to look and you want to inquire, is this a HSA-qualified high-deductible plan? Okay, because if it's a high-deductible plan that has co-pays for, for drugs and things like that, it may not qualify. Right? So usually it has to be a sort of a pure high-deductible plan. All right, also in very important things, uh, certain insurance uh, premiums, Long-term care insurance counts as a qualified medical expense. COBRA payments, if you lose your job, they count. So you could take that money out of the HSA without paying taxes. Uh, Medicare premiums, Medicare B. So in your retirement, you can use this money to pay your Medicare premiums in retirement. At least some of them, okay? All right, ineligible expenses. Veterinary bills don't count. Cosmetic surgery doesn't count. Hair transplants don't count. Funeral expenses don't count, okay? Just uh, the IRS, believe it or not, has this list, and you can guess why they're the list. It's probably because someone tried it and got audited, and then they added it to the list, right? So, all right, so whose medical expenses qualify? You, your spouse, and, and dependents you claim on your tax return. Also, if you're divorced and you have joint custody or you have split custody, even if you don't claim that child, you can use those, you can deduct that child's expenses from your HSA. All right. Um, all right, so let's talk more about the HSA, um, how to minimize expenses and maximize the value. Someone asked about expense ratios. So, first of all, you're in a high deductible health plan, you've got to be smart, be a smart patient and you're um, a healthcare, smart healthcare consumer, okay? Educate yourself, right? Understand what your MOOP is, understand your, your deductible. Plan ahead and bundle expenses to apply the, to annual deductions. 
you have a $2,700 annual deduction or higher, okay, you want to bundle them. I had a friend who needed two hip replacements, one in May and one in November, okay, because he had a $6,000 deductible. He wasn't going to, you know, it was silly to make that, you know, spread it out over two years when he could do it in one year, okay? Um, very important, compare prices. What is the in-network charge? What's the out-of-network charge? What's the cash price? A lot of, a lot of uh, facilities are offering different prices for if you pay cash, all right? Use online comparison tools. There's a healthcare blue book. There's mdsave.com and another, a couple of other options for comparing prices online. How important is it? Well, look at how much an MRI can cost. The cash price, $695. Uh, the Medicare rate is $335, right? The negotiated rate for United Healthcare is $1,990, right? So it pays to be an informed consumer, right? Here's another example, clearhealthcost.com. This is um, what was, okay, teeth fillings, $5 in Philadelphia and $1,000 in New York. A mammogram, $6 in Louisiana, almost $6,000 in San Mateo, California. It's a mammogram, right? Um, so, be a smart consumer, right? What about prescriptions? You can use the money in your HSA to pay your prescriptions, all right? But it helps to plan ahead. If you're on a, on a you know, maintenance drug, get a three-month subscription, a prescription, and look into mail-order home delivery options, all right? Uh, use generics or lower-cost alternatives. A lot of tablets, a lot of doctors will um, write you a prescription for a higher dosage, and, and sometimes that allows you, you could cut the tablets in half and save money that way. Uh, capsules may be cheaper than tablets for exactly that reason. They don't want people, they realize people are cutting the tablets, so now they've made tab some of the capsules are actually cheaper. All right? You can compare prices on an app called GoodRx. It's very easy to use. And if you go on there, you see that the average price, average retail price of a statin drug is $128. Uh, the lowest price on GoodRx is $10.55, a 91% discount. You can actually, you might be able to get it cheaper through Sam's Club Plus membership, which is they give uh, access to these uh, certain drugs. It can cost 4 to $10, depending on the dosage. Your hand was up, ma'am. They are a, um, one of these pharmacy benefit managers, so they're, it's volume and negotiated prices. Um, but I, uh, I, ha I had a friend of mine, I convinced him to, look, to switch into this. I said, make sure you use GoodRx. Went over it. He went and filled his first prescription in January, came home, paid $190, and he was not happy. I said, did you use GoodRx? He said, well, they told me it would cheap, be cheaper if I used my insurance. So I pulled out my phone, I typed it in, I said, $60. And he looks at me, I'm like, you know, I 
follow instructions. <laughs> I'm sorry, but like he didn't want to follow. He didn't want to believe what I told him. Right? How hard is it to pull it out of your out of that of your pocket and look? You don't have to believe me. Just look on GoodRx. How much is it going to cost? So it costs them. And then the nice thing about GoodRx at the bottom, it says, oh, here's some lower cost alternatives. Right? And so one of the things was the tablet, tablet, tablets versus the capsules. The capsules were way cheaper. So now instead of $60, she's getting the tablets. I'm sorry, she's getting the capsules for like $6. Okay, so it just pays to be a smart consumer. It's your money, right? Every money, every dollar you don't spend stays in your HSA and starts earning and earns money for you, right? So here's an example of what, here's GoodRx. It's very, very easy to use, right? Um, and of course, you're going to take, you're going to be smart and take care of your health in general. Eat right, don't smoke, use wellness programs, get some exercise. Avoid the ER, okay? And if you are ever sent to, if you ever have to go to the hospital because you're not feeling well and they check you out and they're like, well, we don't know, but we'd like to keep you for obs overnight for observation. How many people have heard that phrase? Yeah, that is the most expensive trip ever because they don't have a diagnosis. So it gets this really... I don't, I, I don't know, understand it, but it is tens of thousands of dollars, okay? So do you just say, well, either admit me or I'll just sit here in the waiting room and wait or I'll leave. But don't, don't say just stay overnight for observation because it'll be a $14,000 bill, okay? And that's where your MOOC comes in, right? But it's still really high. All right, don't do that. Avoid that if you can, okay? All right, how do you maximize the value of that HSA? One is don't take money out if you don't have to, right? Minimize the fees. HSAs are similar to what IRAs were in the 80s, okay? They're relatively, they're misunderstood. They're not offered everywhere. The fees can be really high, all right? They'll charge you fee after fee after fee. The good thing is Fidelity, this year, in the past 12 months, is now offering a no-fee HSA. It is simple to sign up. There's no application fee. There's no annual fee. I'm sure it's going to change in the future, but for now, there's no fee. And I've had an HSA since 2004, and they were charging me $45 a year for an annual fee plus management fees. And it's basically, you know, I've spent thousands of dollars on fees. So uh, H, uh, I'm a big fan of the Fidelity No Fee HSA. Um, seek low minimum investment thresholds. This is really important um, because you want to get the money working for you and invested for your long-term growth, all right? The, the, uh, my previous HSA, I bought it even though it had fees because there was no minimum investment threshold. I could put the money to work right away, and I could invest it in low... Uh, uh, low-fee Vanguard index funds. So I was minimizing the fees that way and maximizing the returns, but I couldn't minimize it as low as I would really like. Um, at UVA, last year, they had their minimum investment threshold was $4,000. That meant you had to have $4,000 in your HSA before you could put 
any money to work as an investment. You have to have $4,000 in basically a bank account. And every dollar after that could go into the investment, which was really not good, for, especially for young employees who are very healthy and have no medical expenses. I wrote them a very long letter saying, you know, this is a bad idea. And I'm happy to report that they changed it to $1,000 this year. So if you are working somewhere and they have a high investment threshold, talk to your HR and ask them why they're doing that. And they'll say, oh, because that's the annual deductible. And you'll, you can explain to them, yes, but it's disadvantaging people who have, you know, who don't use it that way. Yes. You said that you chose to um, invest in Vanguard Wellington for these HSA. Just Vanguard Index. Vanguard, sorry, Vanguard. Um, Van Vanguard Index. Are there different levels of participation in those investments? Or is if so, for example, I know for some of the retirement, I work here at UVA, mm -hmm. and you can choose kind of the level of involvement you want to have in, let's say, your retirement funds. Is it the same with HSAs, where if you invest it, you can say, I want to pick the funds where I invest that money that'll yield over time, or is it they just take care of it and they have a set group of funds that they do? Generally, it's like a retirement fund where the employer, if it's an employer-based fund, if the employer has contracted with an HSA uh, custodian or provider, it will be like the retirement fund. They'll say, okay, we have these options, and you get to choose. And they will have a limitation. They will have this minimum investment threshold. And they'll say, you can invest once you get to this number. At UVA, it's now $1,000. You don't have to invest. But if you don't invest, you can just leave it in the bank account. If you don't invest, you are losing, you're miss, missing a major opportunity, which we'll talk about in a minute, a huge opportunity. Um, I guess my question is more like, if there is somebody who saves a novice and invest, mm -hmm. There, they're all, they're almost all going to be mutual funds, okay? And it's this, just like the retirement funds. They'll say, "Here are the mutual funds. Here's the information. Read it and talk to your coworkers." <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's generally that's why I give these presentations because lots of people have questions, and HR is not really equipped to answer some of these questions, right? It's um, but so you want to invest if you, for long-term growth, in my opinion. But we're going to more likely have to pick mutual funds. They're not going to pick on your behalf for you. They're going to give you a, sub, a, a, a number of mutual funds to choose from. It's not going to be the 10,000 that are out there. It's going to be certain mutual funds. Here are some options. And just like with the retirement funds, they're going to say, okay, this one's long-term growth. This one's bonds. This one's equities. It's yeah. going to be a little bit. So it's very similar to the H, uh, retirement in terms of their, how they help people. Yeah, uh, okay. So with the HSA, since you're investing in a mutual fund, does that mean it can potentially lose value? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, you can lose value if you invest it in a mutual fund. Um, if, you, if you have an HSA with your employer and... And can you open another HSA and just move it from one HSA to another if you have that HDHP? It doesn't have to be tied to the employers? Or? Correct. You okay. do not have to use your, law, your employer's HSA. You can open up your own HSA if you want to use. 
if you want to use. Yes. Um, Sometimes you have to look out for the fees, right? They might charge fees, okay? One of the advantages of using your employers is they usually cover the fees, okay? But they might have lousy investment options or expensive investment options. So you need to look at that, all right? The other thing is when the employer makes their contribution, they're going to make it into their HSA, right? They're not going to put generally are not, um, unless you have really open-minded, they're not going to transfer their, their contribution to a different provider. But you could ask. Yes, sir. So Wait a second. Think through a scenario here. Uh -huh. Let's say you sign up for this, and I know that you said try and minimize um, any health issues at the mm -hmm. beginning, but let's mm -hmm. say I sign up and I've got 5000 in this HSA, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I shatter both my femurs, mm -hmm. and I have to be in the hospital for five weeks, and the mm -hmm. bills end up being $50,000. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. What happens then? So, because if I'm, if I understand it correctly, you're saying you signed up for the HSA, and that is your primary health insurance that plan, is your health correct? Insur well, no, the HDHP is your health insurance plan. Okay. The HSA is what you're going to use to pay off things that, like that. Okay. If you don't have it someplace else. Okay, so we're still basically, you're paying those annual rates for your health insurance plan, but this is a separate thing that you can invest mm -hmm. the money in mm -hmm. tax that's tax deductible mm -hmm. that you can then pull from that to pay those fees. Is that how I understand it correctly? Right. Okay. Right. Thanks. Sure. We good? Okay. All right. So, um, like I explained, lobby, look at what your options are, your employer. HR doesn't understand this. It's not their fault. This is, this is investment stuff. It's not their fault that they don't understand this. But you can be their ally, and you can help them understand, just like I help them understand, that their choice to limit the, make the minimum investment threshold of 4000 was hurting employees. That's not their goal. Right? Their goal is to help employees. So if you can, you can help them. You can lobby them and explain things and help them make better options. If they're working with an HSA provider who's very expensive and charging high fees, you can talk to them. You can suggest, hey, have you looked at Fidelity? Because Fidelity offered it to employers for years before they offered it to, to individuals. Right? So Fidelity might be a cheaper option, and they have lots of they have great service. Right? Um, also, for contributions, that $1,000 contribution that employers have been making, they've been making that same $1,000 contribution basically since 2004. It has not changed, right? And I understand premiums have gone up, but when you think about it, so there's a problem with this model. So, you know, the deductibles have gone up, and the employer contributions is the same. And if you think about the people at the lowest level of the salary rate, right? They have to come up with the 2450 on their own. They're in a low tax bracket, right? And it's hard to, for them to come up for that 2450. People in the higher tax brackets who have really big income, this is a no-brainer. They want to put as much money in that HSA as possible because they're in the 40% tax bracket. It doesn't cost them as much. So I, I kind of think employers need to think about possibly fully funding the deductible or giving more of the deductible for the lower level people and letting, just because some of them are using it not as an investment account, but they're using it more as a reimbursement account. And if we can help educate them, it, it will help everybody in the long run, all right? So um, 
something to think about. Uh, you want to invest for long-term growth. Yes, the money can lose value, okay? And you want to minimize the withdrawals in the early years, okay? So these are ideal for young, young uh, employees, young grads who are healthy, right? It gets a little scarier. If you're married, you have two kids, you have a bunch of kids, they have ear infections all the time or broken bones or whatever, it's great for young people, all right? So uh, our friends at Fidelity did a little analysis and said, okay, what if you make a family contribution for 30 years and you invested it versus if you held it in cash? Remember this gentleman was saying, well, what about, you know, how do you invest it? It's your choice. You can leave it in cash or in a bank account and it'll grow Okay, this is, they, they inflated it, they inflated the $7,000 contribution, uh, I think 3% over 30 years, so you're going to have $300,000, but if you invest it, you're going to have close, you know, $900,000 possibly at a 7% return, I think this is, all right? And if, now, uh, if you, what happens with the lower level, you know, low paid employees they, a lot of times, they're living paycheck to paycheck, so they don't use it as an investment account. They use it as a reimbursement account. So the minute they have a doctor's bill, they're pulling the money out. So um, that's not the optimal way to use this account. The optimal way is to let it ride as long as possible and start taking the money out when it's generating as much income as you need in deductibles, right? In this example, um, the account holder withdrew 50% of the contributions annually. They still accumulated a very nice chunk of money to help them in retirement and pay for their, pay for their medical bills in retirement. All right, It's still a good deal, but if you're withdrawing everything every year, if you're going to zero and you're not investing, you are not using this tool to its optimal benefit. All right. All right. So what's the payoff? The growth of a, of a uh, HSA for single employee makes, if the employer contribution makes a thousand, is $1,000 a year and the employee makes a five, you know, withdraws half of that every year, 7.5% return. There's no fees in this example. Fees will cause an effect. Um, you know, if you, if the employer and the employee make the maximum contributions, and no withdrawals, that employee is going to retire, you know, in 30 years, not, not retire, but in 30 years, the employee will have, you know, almost $400,000, okay? And if you, you know, if you don't maximize and you take money out, you're going to have, you still have some money, you'll save money on taxes, but it's just not anywhere near what you would have if you let the money work for you. Yes, sir. Wait for the mic, please. What do you see people typically do when, let's say, they get uh, to very old age um, and they've got this four hundred fifty thousand remaining right. in this HSA? What do you see people typically okay, so, do with those funds? So, thank you for asking. Um, so the reality, so these were started in two thousand four. Nobody has that much money in them yet. Okay, <laughs> so it's a good question. You have to think ahead. What's it? So. So my goal is, like I said, if you're young, you want to get this going and have it start generating enough so that it's paying your annual deductible every year. 
So you can, when you get that much and it's generating that money, then you don't have to worry. If it gets to the point like, okay, if I have a bad, bad year, if my kid gets sick, if the moop, right? Like if I hit the moop three years in a row, you want to get it to that point, right? That's my goal for you know, students is start now and when you're 30, you can use this to pay for your kids' braces, you know, their ear infections. I've read stories, I don't know anybody, but I know I read a story about a couple who used it to pay for their, their birth of their child. It was an $8,000 obstetrics bill and they took it out, you know, because they had been, you know, they were young and they'd started at the beginning. But no one's there yet. And we are gonna talk about what do you do at the end, but. We have to, a little bit more to go through. So you're thinking and you're asking great questions, so keep it up. You had a question? Okay, all right. Okay. So I, I had a savings. question. I had a question. Okay. Um, so I, you'll probably get to this. That's all right. But as an IRA, is it transferable upon death? We're going to get to that. All right. You guys are great audience. You're on it. All right, so your health savings account. Who's heard of a Roth IRA? All right, it's better than a Roth. How can I say that? Well, because you have tax-free contributions. That's not true in a Roth. You have tax-free growth, same as a Roth. You have tax-free withdrawals for qualified medical expenses. Anytime. You don't have to be 59 and a half. So this becomes an emergency fund. Right? When, when do you have an emergency? When you get sick. When you have big medical bills. This becomes a hugely valuable med uh, emergency fund. There are no income limitations as uh, there are with Roth IRA contributions. And Vanguard wrote a, a lovely little article once called uh, Health Savings Accounts, the Tax Code's Next Sleeper Hit. IRAs, when they were introduced in the 80s, very few people took advantage of them. You know, they were kind of, they were new and people didn't understand them, and they grew. As people, more and more people educated themselves, and more and more trustees started saying, hey, you should do this. Um, so this is, the, this is the new IRA. And HSA beats the IRA, Why? So you have a traditional IRA, your contributions are not taxed, but your withdrawals are. With a Roth IRA, your contributions are taxed, but your withdrawals are not. With the HSA, your contributions are not taxed, and your withdrawals from medical expenses are not taxed. If you take money out for non-medical expenses, they're gonna be taxed at your income level, all right? And you're gonna pay a 20% penalty if you're less than 65 years old. That is a big penalty. And that gets to your question, sir. What happens if you get to a point where you have all this money in there, if you hit 65 and you have all this money, you are blessed with great health, and you, you, know, you can use some of the money to pay your Medicare premiums and whatever else you need in your old age, but you can start withdrawing other money and just pay income tax. It's like, a, it's like an IRA then. So the money you withdraw after 65 for non-medical expenses will be taxed as income. If you use it to pay for medical expenses, either incurred that year or in previous years, it's not taxed. Okay, so. So, why can IRA? You have to take your required minimum distribution. There is no required minimum distribution. All right. I think the key to this too, though, I'm talking about it. So, this is based on the current tax. 
Sorry, I was just saying that I'm a tax accountant, so you know this is based on current tax law. Obviously, tax legislation can change in the future, so I think like it's it's great to plan based on knowing what the law is, but that's not to say that you know 20 years from now it might not possibly change right. to something else, and then they have to figure out how do you grandfather stuff in or do you grandfather stuff in. Mm -hmm. So just that's she's right. She's absolutely right. The tax law changes, and it's it can be confounding. So here's. Um, yeah, often they will graduate. They will ta they will grandfather people in. And what have they done with IRAs? When they started with IRAs, pretty much anybody could contribute to an IRA. And then they realized who's contributing to the IRAs and who's contributing to the Roth IRAs. The very wealthy. So they made it. The they inserted income con uh, limitations so that you know to try and keep it from just becoming a high le uh, high income tax advantage, shall we say, and uh, limit it to people under a certain threshold. So, yes, she's absolutely right. I would not be surprised if in future years, you know, there's a limit on how much you can contribute based on how high your income is. So if you're in a higher income now, like that's, to me, that's a good reason to actually put in more because you may actually, you know, place out in the future. So thank you for bringing that up. That's actually a good point. Okay. Yes? Another question? All right. All right. So you can use your HSA to pay health care costs in retirement. Your Medicare, I've had both hips thing. Okay, nobody's really asked yet about, okay, what do you do about, you know, if you do have a health, health you know, event and you have a big bill, do you take, you know, when do you go in and, or not go in? So I had both of my hips replaced. I was in the fortunate that I had enough money in my savings account that I could just pay the copay or not the coinsurance. I could pay the bills out of my checking account. I could have taken it out of here, right? But my checking account was only making, you know, less than 1%, right? Like 0.25%. And my HSA was earning a lot more. So I left the money in my HSA. And I just put the receipts in a little envelope. And actually, now I put them on an app. Okay, but when they were first, when this was first introduced, there were no apps. Okay, but now you can get an app. You just save all your receipts, and they never expire. So you can you can take that money when you need it, when there's an emergency, and say, okay, I want to reimburse myself now, even if it's a ten-year-old receipt. Okay, it's only, but there's only for receipts after you opened your HSA. So you can't, you can't open your HSA this year and take last year's receipts, okay? So as soon as you open your HSA, you're eligible to open an HSA, you start saving your receipts. And every receipt after that date, you can use to pull money out of the HSA tax-free. Medicare, can you open an eight? No, you cannot. Sorry. Sorry. Not under the current tax law. Okay. You're, there's a question in the back. All right. So those receipts are very important. They never expire. All right. I have, for instance, I told you I have I've had both hips. So I basically have $19,000 of medical expenses. 
I've paid out of pocket since 2004, and they're it's my emergency fund, right? If I need money, I can submit those receipts, pull out that $19,000, and there's no tax event. But I'm leaving it working for me because it's growing tax-free, all right? Yes. Oh, actually, in the back first. On, on that same thought, if you're going to go to old receipts, if, you, if you've switched your HSA from one vendor to another, is it when you first had an HSA or when you had yeah, the, your no, current HSA? No, when you first opened an HSA. Any HSA. Thank you. Right. And it doesn't matter if you switch plans. So some of you are young and you might be, you know, single and then a few years you get married and after a few years you decide you're going to have a baby and you say that's a good year. Maybe you're looking at your insurance policies or you're looking at the premiums and the annual deductibles and the copays and the MOP and you decide, oh, you know what? I don't think that high deductible health plan is a good one for when we have a kid. So you might switch plans that year. That's okay. You can still use the HSA money you have for any medical expenses any time during your life. Correct. If you're not on the HDHP, you can no longer make contributions. So if you open an HSA now, when you get on Medicare, your contributions must stop. You're no longer eligible to make a contribution, but you are eligible to take the money out. So are we all following? Yes. You mentioned submitting your receipts who are you submitting okay them to? so your hsa trustee and you actually submit a request for reimbursement some will ask you for the receipts and some will just say do you have the receipts basically it's an audit thing you need to keep your receipts in case the irs comes and says were these you know you you claim these were qualified deductions let's see the receipts okay so one year all right, so are we good on this? All right, so here's an example of one year. Um, well, let's talk about this for a minute. Retiree health care costs. So some people say, as this gentleman said, well, what happens if you have $400,000 in there? Like, what? then what? Well, guess what? According to Fidelity, they say under t in today, they're saying a t couple who retires at age 65 today is going to need more than a quarter of a million dollars to, for their health care costs over their retirement. So $400,000 is going to not go too bad. You know, it's going to be a nice cushion, basically. All right? It's an additional retirement fund, and it's actually a more flexible one. Yes, sir. Oh, wait for, the, wait for it. And if you want to think about, okay, so how, where is that money going? Some of it's going to this Medicare Part B and D. And that you can use from your HSA, right? And then there's the co-pays. All of this, a lot of it goes from the, can be paid by the HSA. And you're... Yeah, uh, the, the question was going to be, um, so let's say, you know, when I pass away um, and I've got that 100, like I had the 400, but then 280, so I've uh -huh. got, you know, over uh -huh. 100 left. Does that just go to your, you know, children immediately? And then how You are any... so on it. We, we, we're coming up to that one, okay? All right, so how much is health insurance going to cost you when you retire? 36% uh, are paying more than $500 a month in premiums, so that's going to help, right? All right, here we go. Tips, all in the family. Tips for maximizing the, your HSA assets. If you're married, all right, 
The max family contribution for 2019 is $7,000. The contribution may be split between the two spouses however they agree, okay? Uh, if you're over 55, you, can, you have a $1,000 catch-up contribution. Each spouse over 55 must have their own HSA to make that $1,000 contribution to, okay? So the maximum household contributions to two HSAs for 2019 for two people who are over age 55 is $9,000. But you have to have two HSAs, okay? $1,000, that catch-up contribution can, has to go into the individuals who is over 55 in their HSA. You can split the 7,000 however you like, but each person has to get, okay, yes. Sorry for all the questions, but no, so do you typically see for a family HSA, to me that sounds like there's only one within your entire family, but do you see typically No, so the HSA their... has one person's name on it, uh -huh. and the contribution that is allowed for that HSA is based on what kind of insurance coverage you have. Do you have family coverage or do you have individual insurance coverage? If you have an individual insurance plan, it's $3,500. If you have a family insurance plan, you get to contribute $7,000. So if I, so if me and my, you know, me and my wife each had, we could have family plans, both of us, and each of us can contribute $7,000? So am I no. misunderstanding that wrong? No. Okay. Yes. You are understanding that wrong. If you're okay. on the same plan. Right. Assuming you're on the, you have to, if you, uh, you're on the same HDHP plan. Right. Okay. okay, well, hold that thought because I've got something to show you. Okay. All right. So, what if you have a working spouse and you have children? Okay. Each spouse has the option to opt for the employer's HDB, HDHP and HSA contribution. So, you and your spouse both work for UVA. Say you have children. Okay, I know what this is, for instance, one of my colleagues. They both have children, so, or they have shared children. So, one has opted for single coverage, okay? And one has opted for family coverage. So one, one spouse covers the children and one spouse covers himself, all right? So the maximum family contribution for the spouse who's covering the children is a family plan. She gets to put $7,000, okay? And UVA puts 1,500 in, all right? The husband in this situation his maximum individual contribution is $3,500, and UVA puts 1000 in, okay? So their total HSA contributions for the two plans in this situation is $10,500, and UVA puts in 2500 If they didn't do it this way, if they just said, we'll just do the family plan, they would only get to put in $7,000, and UVA would only contribute 1500 So they maximized how much they can put away and how much they get, free money they get from UVA. It costs a little bit more because he has to pay for individual, uh, his premiums, right? If he signed up for the family plan, he would be on the same, his premiums, he would have zero premiums. But UVA has made it such that their individual plan is $19 a month. So $19 a month, so $20 a month, times 12, $240 a year, Okay, and he gets $1,000. Okay, if you're young and healthy, this is a good deal. 
Okay, if you're older, you have to, you know, this is, doesn't work for everybody, okay? But if you're young and healthy and take care of yourself, this could be a very useful tool, all right? All right, this is my most valuable tip, okay? But before we get there, this man has a question. Last situation. Mm -hmm. Does the person with a single plan, can he pay for health costs of his family? Of, of the family or just uh, for himself? His, his spouse, his Anybody? dependents. Yes. Uh, um, so the question was, can he, pay, he has an individual plan and, and can he use his HSA to pay for co-pays and deductibles and medical expenses for his spouse or children? And yes, because... That's what it says. If you have an HSA, you can use the HSA to re pay for medical expenses of your spouse and your dependents, right? But I don't recommend it. I recommend, until they get to, I recommend it after it gets to a certain base level and you're earning some, I don't, I try to encourage people, don't use it as a reimbursement account if you can avoid it. If you can, use it for an investment account for 10 years or so and get some money going, get the money working for you, and then you can start using it as a reimbursement account. All right, so this is my most valuable tip, and it's not going to apply to many people in this room, but, and um, my friend here, the tax accountant, was gonna say, this could change, okay? But under the current tax law, this is an incredible tip, okay, for, um, people who have adult children who are carried on their health insurance who are not tax dependents, okay? So mom and dad have a new graduate from UVA, uh, 21, 22 years old. They've got a job offer, but they're on their parents' tax, uh, health, high deductible health plan. Mom and dad have an HSA contribution of $7,000 maximum, but the child is no longer, the child, the adult child is no longer a tax dependent so if that child, adult child, has a medical expense, they cannot use the money in the HSA to pay, pay it, okay? That's not a qualified ex expense. But because this person's covered by an HSA and is not tax dependent of another person and is not a Medicare, this person has, is eligible to open their own HSA. And it's an individual, not married, right? So you would think, how much do you think the contribution would be? You would think $3,500, but wrong. And I couldn't believe it when I read this. It's 7000 because they have a family plan. They have a higher deductible, so they get to put more money in, which is an incredible opportunity for healthy young people who have this situation. It doesn't work for everybody, okay? It does not work for everybody, okay? But if it works for you, this is worth a lot of money. So what I tell my students, okay, when you are negotiating, you, are, you know, talk to your parents. What is your health insurance, right? And when your health, you, know, you get a job offer and they offer you health insurance, you say, well, that's great. And you look at it and you look, evaluate. What's the MOOP? What's the annual deductible? What's the premium? And you say, this is very generous. Thank you. How much would it be worth if I stayed on my parents' plan? And I've had it, one student do that and she got an extra $3,000 in salary. That was three years ago. The last student I talked to, she wasn't actually one of my students, she was just 
uh, a, young, a young recent grad, and I told her, and she said, she came back at graduation, she said, thank you. She got an extra $6,000. So what do you do with that $6,000? You take it and you put it in the HSA. Tax-free, and it's growing for you. And how much is, how much is that? How valuable is that most valuable financial tip? If you, if you max up between ages 22, 21 and 26, you put in that extra 7,000, you double, I'm sorry, you put in 7,000 instead of the $3,500. When you retire, that's gonna be an extra half a million dollars. That could be an extra half a million dollars. I don't recommend that, you know, when you get up to those numbers, you can stop, you can start pulling the money out, right? <laughs> You can enjoy your life. Remember that freedom thing I told you about? What you'd want to do is you want to build a cushion, right? And the sooner you start building that cushion, the better off you are. And if you can get an employer to give you an extra $6,000 that you can put in your HSA, more power to you. So choosing your health plan, make informed decisions, use, an, use a uh, decision-making model, right? So we identified alternatives. We weighed the evidence. All right, you could choose an option, take action, right? For some people, this HDHP and HSA is the best option, not for everybody, all right? If you have allergy shots, if you have chronic illness, it depends on your plan. You have to look at your plan, right? And you have to look at what your situation is. I had one student come and talk to me. He's from Northern Virginia. His parents are on an HDHP. And I was like, well, you know, this is an option. He said, but guess what? He's going to work in fa at Facebook. It's like, you're going to be out of network. You're young and healthy, but what kind of lifestyle do you live? Because young, healthy males sometimes take a lot of risk, right? And so, you know, maybe, it's, maybe it just depends on who you are, okay? And what kind of lifestyle you live. You have to, it's, I say, personal finance is personal. What works for you may not work, be the best choice for me, vice versa, but do your homework and make an informed decision. When you're weighing the evidence, the problem is a lot of people look at the worst case scenario, they look at the premiums, okay? They look at that moop, oh my gosh, I can't afford that. They, can't, they look at that annual deductible, um, but the worst case scenario is gonna be your, you're gonna pay your premiums. In a really bad year, you're gonna pay the moop. And you're going to deduct from that your HSA, con you're going to have your HSA contributions from you and your employer, okay? So it might not be as bad as it looks. Um, in the best case scenario, you're going to pay your premiums. You're not going to have any medical expenses. And at the end of the year, you'll have an HSA contribution from you and your employer. Yes, the market, if you invested in the market, it might go down 10 or 20% in a given year. But if you're investing for the long term, it hopefully will grow significantly. And if you're investing, if you're doing it through payroll deduction, just like your 401k, you're gonna be buying low, all right, if it goes down. So that's all to the good. Here's an example of UVA's situation. UVA did a, good, a really good thing. They made their MOOP the same. They have three choices, three plans, and the MOOP is the same for all three. So if you have a really good, if you, and I, I laugh, where, how are we? Oh dear. Okay. Um, look at the MOOP, okay, and think about it. So, all right, here's choose the best plan for you. I've got to get to the 
Take action, review, repeat. All right, nothing certain but death and taxes, right? If you get to, okay, designating a beneficiary, it's like your IRA. You have to designate a beneficiary, and this is really important. Nothing's perfect, right? These aren't perfect either. This money's never been taxed, okay? So when you go, it's never been taxed. The IRS wants their share. U.S. Treasury wants their share. If you leave it to your, uh, your spouse, it's, there's no tax event. They keep it as an HSA. If you leave it to someone else, it's taxable to the beneficiary in the year in which you die. All of it. So $400,000, what's the tax rate? Gone, right? Okay, so my, what I do, I'm single. I have named my favorite educational institutions as my beneficiary. They won't pay taxes on it. All right, and I found out today that if I do that, I can be a member of the Cornerstone Society at UVA. And I already, I, I, I laughed because I named them a couple months ago when I switched to Fidelity, and I didn't know. I haven't told them until today. I told them, I was like, oh, really? So that's an option, all right? So we're over time. I'm very sorry. I'll be happy to take your questions like outside because I think somebody else is coming in. Thank you all. I hope this was educational, informative. I hope you all save thousands of dollars in the future. All right? Okay. Uh, thank you very much, Dot. I know people have questions. They'll be coming up to you. So on behalf of Lifetime Learning and the Alumni Association, we have a gift. And I hope we're all a little smarter and Dot can answer your questions. Thank you for coming.